0: For immediate effect, any and all practitioners of witchcraft, including hedge witches, street witches, fortune tellers, abortionists, midwives, suffragists, prostitutes, radicals or other unnatural women will be placed under immediate arrest and subject to trial by fire. Welcome to The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow and welcome back to Witch Fix as a matter of fact. It's taken me a while to get through this book because it's over 500 pages and also i was enjoying it so much that i didn't want to rush so if you need to hear one thing about this book it's that it was so good that i just wanted to savor it and honestly i think even though it is fairly early on in the year this might be my book of 2021 i feel like it hit me at just the right time and i enjoyed reading a book by someone who so clearly gets it and by it i mean both feminism and witchcraft so go away and read it if you haven't already if you have a desire to because i'm gonna get into some spoilery ter- territory and you do not want this book spoiled for you if you've read the book then let's talk about it so this novel is about three sisters uh, beatrice uh james and uh, agnes who have been estranged from each other for a while uh, through various kind of misunderstandings and issues relating to their home life. And they are reunited in the first section of the novel and experience uh, an amazing magical event that sets them on a path to rediscover the old ways of magic which have been lost. So a little bit about the world building. First, some trigger warnings for the book. is There is mention of um, abuse, both domestic and child abuse, um, sexual assault, rape, uh, racism. There's a lot of that sort of stuff mentioned in the book, although no real graphic scenes that I can remember. So... Going to it forward is going to be dealing with a lot of those subjects. The world of the book is one in which we've moved on from the Salem Witch Trials and we now have New Salem, which is thriving. It has its you know streetcars, its newspapers, its suffragists calling for the vote. It all starts out very mundane. And in amongst that, there is still witchcraft. But it is the kind of folk magic witchcraft that is allowed to skate by on very thin ice spells to keep your socks up spells to keep your hair looking nice to keep your whites white without having to pour a bunch of bleach on them these tiny domestic magics that are actually allowed to exist the real witchcraft the witchcraft that was you know your grandma's witchcraft but further back than that has been stamped out in the witch trials and by St George who killed the last three witches, the maiden, the mother and the crone, who appear in many old witch tales and fairy stories. It's into this world that we meet our three protagonists um, who all embody one or more aspects of that trilogy, but they don't go down the route of them being chosen. They just happen to be analogous to one of those things and as the book points out every woman is one of those things at least and that you can be more than one and that what you are can change so broadly speaking we have james juniper who is the maiden uh, the youngest of the three sisters and the fiercest the most reckless then we have agnes amaranth who is the middle sister she's the mother in that she is pregnant uh, and has a daughter later on in the novel but also she is the one who cares about people she is the most empathetic one and that is how she has ended up being hurt so many times and when we join her at the start of the novel she is unwilling to expand her circle to include anyone she cannot care and get hurt again and will not allow herself to and we see how she kind of eases up on that throughout the novel and then lastly we have beatrice belladonna who is the crone she is the elder of the trio of sisters she's also the most bookish Uh, she is a librarian she cares a lot about recording history and and protecting that history with incredible zeal she starts off being quite cautious and timid in that sort of very stereotypical librarian role, but gradually becomes a louder and more vociferous defender of history and of knowledge itself. So these are our three main players and they arrive into this world that you have not spoken to each other for many a year because of aforementioned disagreements, misunderstandings, unfortunate ruptures in their relationship. And they are brought together by the appearance over a a clash of suffragists and the Christian Women's Union. This apparition comes, this black tower out of nowhere, which is meant to be the resting place of the previous three, the Maiden, the Mother and the Crone, and all of their ways of magic and all of that ancient women's power. And it appears and then disappears in the blink of an eye but the three sisters have seen it and through one reason or another they decide to try and recover these ways and give them back to women and therefore the novel kind of charts that experience its highs its lows the moments where they're kind of naively taking their first steps into becoming part of this movement for both women's rights and witches rights the moments where they're struck down and punished Uh, in the early days of this movement, the way they come back from that and then are struck down again. There's a lot of real dips and peaks in this novel in terms of their experiences. And I loved them all. I absolutely loved it. It's rare to find a novel that both gets witchcraft and gets feminism to this degree, while also being an absolutely thrilling and beautiful book to read. And this book did all of that. It was great. I adored it. It tackles so many interesting issues, not in this very simplistic feminism, good, patriarchy, bad type way. It actually breaks down these kind of factions and frictions within the feminist movement. So firstly, they they find the suffragists, but the suffragists don't want to be seen as witches. They want to get rights, not by being kind of scary and violent and fighting back but by being peaceful and it's not getting them anywhere then you have the Christian Women's Association who like things as they are very much thank you because they are sort of these richer women who have all the rights that they want really and they don't really have to fight for anything then you have the uh, Daughters of Tituba which are basically the suffragist movement but in New Cairo which is the portion of the city where the black people live because it is very segregated and one of the main characters and love interest for one of the three sisters is a woman called Cleopatra who works there in this uh, sort of newspaper which is standing up for witches and women and being very outspoken about the, the racism and the oppression being dealt to New Cairo and at various points in the novel Cleo is looked down on by people within the, the feminist movement they're trying to create and that is incredibly relevant in terms of history uh, even looking at like the actual suffrage movement where they kind of sidelined women of colour and it was just like get the vote for the white women the rich white women and then it had this kind of trickle down process where it was kind of begrudgingly given to everyone else based on their work because the people who'd started the original movement weren't fighting for those people so that's obviously incredibly important we also have some uh, trans women there is a trans woman character in the novel who it's not revealed that they are a trans woman for the longest time and i really liked that the way that they just kind of mesh into the story and a big deal of it isn't really made it just becomes this kind of interesting subplot for this character and it made me want to reread the novel just to kind of go back and read all those interactions with them again and enjoy their story as it was slowly being brought out into the main narrative so it's very exciting it deals with a lot of these um parts of the feminist community parts of the struggle the idea of the segregation the way new Cairo functions and the way that that is the area that is stamped down on the most by the new anti-witchcraft laws it all feels incredibly intentional the way the writer is drawing your attention to these issues and i really love that i felt like it was really confidently putting forth these analogies and microcosms of real life into the novel and i realize a lot of that sounds kind of boring and uh, a little bit academic but did i mention it's also a throcking good story because it is there's so many moments where i was like oh no please don't let the plot take this predictable annoying turn and then it didn't and i was so happy for example there is a moment where agnes and this is kind of a spoiler agnes is sort of put in a place by the the main villain of the story where she has to choose between being loyal to her sisters and defending them or defending her daughter she is either told she can betray her sisters and get her daughter back or she can be punished with her sisters and lose her daughter forever. And I was like, I don't want her to really make either of these choices, but especially I don't want her to choose her daughter over her sisters, because it's incredibly predictable. And something that has happened before in other stories, and it just doesn't seem that strong. And We've already met this other mother, the idea of her as this sort of strong warrior. That doesn't really seem like something that she would do in this situation. And gratifyingly, Agnes is like, I detest both of your options, and I choose option number three, which I have made up. Which is really surprising and takes the novel in a new and interesting direction where you can't really predict what's going to happen. Another good point in its favour is the fact that although it's a feminist book, it does also include good male characters. So not every man in the novel is this kind of conglomeration of everything that is bad about toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. We have August, who is a love interest, again, for one of the characters. He's in the sort of um, workers' rights labour movement, and he helps them with their various demonstrations and things we also have Mr Blackwell who works at the library he ends up being kind of an ally uh, he is part of the underground railroad uh, both for witches and I also think for you know, former slaves uh, his family kind of dates back to a time when they were escaping as well um, so he's an ally we get like good male characters in the novel and they have meat to them as well but they have like an interesting internal life and we get a sense of that through their scenes that um where they're brought in it's also refreshingly sex worker positive because we get to at various points uh, go into brothels where the women have to like hide or they're using it as a safe house and they are supported and people from there like the actual prostitutes and the madam as well they come out and join the movement and although when things kind of crack down they do have to kind of choose whether they want to be you know persecuted as prostitutes or persecuted as prostitutes and witches and they kind of have to look after themselves there is a sense that there isn't any kind of disrespect being laid on them there isn't even any disrespect really being laid on the christian women's union There is uh, moments where their characters are kind of humanized. And again, they're not just these mouthpieces for anti-feminist ideas. They're actual characters. So that's also really enjoyable. Now onto the magic element, because I really liked this. So the whole point of the story is to bring back magic to this world where the ways and hows of witchcraft have been lost so apparently you need three things to work magic you need the ways which is basically ingredients you need the words which is the spell itself and the will which is your own emotional input into the spell and the ways and the words have been sort of lost these witch tales have been passed down but a lot of it has been lost and so there's only like a little trickle of it still remaining And at the sort of start of the novel, this is put down as like a blood thing, as if as if the blood of witchcraft has been diluted and lost as the ages went on without there being any full blood witches. And then later on, they begin to discover that witchcraft isn't really something you inherit, it's something that you choose to do and that you become, which is absolutely cracking way to to tackle that subject. Because it turns the novel from, you know, the tale of the destined three who were fated to succeed into a story about people who could fail, who are very fallible and very human and who do have to try. Like, prophecy hasn't predicted their success. There is still a chance of failure. And debatably, at the end of the book, they do lose something incredibly precious. And I'm not going to spoil that. But... It kind of turns it back into this very human struggle, as opposed to this supernatural battle of undefeatable titans. Um, it becomes a lot more relevant to like individual women's struggle. There's also a huge amount of attention given to the ways and words of different cultures. So not just the people from New Cairo and the sisters themselves, but there's also Russian immigrants telling their own stories, uh, stories that kind of relate to like Baba and things like that. And their own methods of doing magic from like the Native Americans to the uh, Russians uh, to the people of New Cairo are different. Some of them involve drawings and pictures and dances as opposed to words and herbs. And, This is kind of nicely encapsulated on page 353, where Bella says... She tells him about Old Salem and the Sewing sampler and the owl winging towards her through the trees, living in the lost library of Avalon outside of time and mind and standing in its ashes. Araminta's spells which rely on stars and songs rather than rhymes and herbs and her growing suspicion that witchcraft isn't one thing but many things, all the ways and words women have found to wreak their will on the world. So there's a number of quotes like that in the book. To paraphrase to paraphrase one of them, it's witchcraft exists in the space between what you have and what you need. And there's so many like little aphorisms like that that were incredibly relevant to like, the actual practice of witchcraft that I sort of began to suspect that the author might know a little bit of something of, of witching on her own. Could neither confirm nor deny, but... It is incredibly relevant to the modern day practice of witchcraft, just as it is to the modern day cause of feminism. So, again, very interesting, very in depth of reading. So, to sum up, this book has an incredible sense of and appreciation for an ability to explain, in very simple and beautiful prose, the causes behind the witch trials, the inner workings of the feminist movement and the suffrage movement the ins and outs of sexism and racism to a lesser extent uh, in sort of both the patriarchy and in feminism as a movement and also a huge amount about the Bondo practice and the pre-Christian practice of witchcraft. There's a lot of interesting stuff that you can dig into in this novel and a lot of ways to read it, a lot of things to go back and appreciate. It's Sort of packed to the rafters like a false meat pie, which has so many delicious little chunks in there that you just want to savor each one. So it is both a building and a pie, which is a terrible metaphor. But you see what I mean? It is an absolutely cracking novel, and I think definitely one that is relevant to the time that we're in now. And it really captures a lot of emotions I think a lot of us have experienced over the past you know our entire lives <laughs> because it has in it that kind of dread of political figures gaining power over you that you know don't have your best interest at heart it has that sense of kind of impotence where you don't feel that your own power is enough like you're being silenced obviously a lot of the characters in this novel can't vote uh, so so there's that as well and also the kind of anger and frustration and deep seated discontent that that ends up creating in people and the kind of friction of energy when they come together as a whole and actually stand up for themselves and successfully manage to kind of beat back that force that's out to get them so it's also an incredibly satisfying story and just a, a well-written novel in general. Like, I don't think there was one point where I rolled my eyes or felt like it was a bit too earnest or a bit too cliche. It's just incredibly well put together. And I would have been incredibly proud to have written it. So it's definitely up there as my top book of the year so far. And we'll see if anything can topple it. But I'm not holding our hope. I think this one's a winner. So, if you haven't already, go and get yourself a copy of *The Once and Future Witches* by Alex E Harrow. Uh, I know it came in a Luma crate a while ago, and there should be plenty of copies out there as well. Mine's in hardback, but it must be coming out in paperback soon or ebook. So, check it out for yourself, and let me know how you feel about it. If you've already read it, let me know. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.